Man, oh man, I got to tell you, like every once in a while, I get the opportunity to just be in awe. And it takes a lot to put, kind of shut me up, if you will. It takes a lot to stop me in my tracks. But I'll tell you, that's exactly what happened to me years ago when I got schooled by our next guest when it comes to brand. Now, even though this episode's not about brand, I'm definitely going to highlight it because regardless of whether you're like, hey, I have a clear brand, I don't have a clear brand, I think brand's important. Trust me when I say it's the difference between adding $100,000 and adding a million. So I want you to do yourself a favor and make sure you got a pen and some paper because you're going to take some notes and I promise you they're going to be delicious. It's Candice. <laughs> Hi, Tiffany. <laughs> Listen, bestie, it's so exciting for me to be able to like to officially interview. You know, we have like 7,000 private conversations and this one's going to be on the table and public. And <laughs> so I'm so excited about it. You didn't tell me other people would be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know what? I know we're going to talk about important things and, you know, million dollar strategies, but I was like, I think we should have sent her wine so that she could drink while she was doing this podcast. <laughs> hey, you know, work hard, play hard, right? Work hard, play hard. Correct. So listen, I want to jump right into this thing because I, I've had the luxury of watching you do some pretty dope things over the last few years. I mean, you sold two multi-million dollar businesses. You have become like the world's most wanted expert in the pet industry, not let alone the business sector. Let me just kind of take a step back. It's not just pet, it's it's business as well. You have moved into your own winter wonderland. And then more importantly, you got married. <laughs> hey. Yeah, 2020 has been a big year. Uh, you know what? 2020, you know what? Let's just not give it any... You know what? I love 2020. That's what I'm going to say. I, I loved 2020. So I have so many things I want to ask you and I'm going to do my best to stay on topic. But what I know is that success leaves clues. And even though I have a front row seat and truthfully can respectively ask you any question, one of my greatest lessons for myself over the last five years has just been watching you. It's one thing when you say, hey, you need to build a brand. But one of the things I learned most was not just building a brand online or building a brand in a business, but being your brand. I remember the first time I was in Chicago with you, uh, staying at your house, and you, I was going to say dragged me, but you encouraged me to go to this meeting with you for, I think it was small business owners with the chamber. And they referred to you all as like the mayor of Southport. And I was like, what? I was like, everybody loves Candace, but no, Candace, Candace nailed being her brand. So she was more than just her store. And I think that's it. Growing your business, growing yourself, it's more than just the physical thing that you're selling. It's you too. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And what was so cool is that when you walked in through the door, like everybody's eyes just kind of lit up and they, they were like, the mayor of Southport is here. 
you know, I want to I want to dive into this because it's one of the most overlooked areas in growing a business. And for me, you know, when I built a seven figure business, it started locally driven. But but after watching you, I don't think that I even tapped into half of the things we could have been doing. And so my first question to you is when you said to yourself, damn it, I'm going to start this shop and damn it, it's going to be the best thing that ever was. And damn it, I am going to get to know my community. Was it easy for you to dive in? Do you feel like you had a leg up or what was your do the damn thing step? (laughs) Yeah, I would say that I probably do have a slight advantage only because I, my whole life have been like more of an extrovert. And so for introverted people, this, this may not come as naturally, but it doesn't mean it can't happen for them. So that would be the only thing I would say. Plus my grandpa, Bob, my grandpa, Bob raised me and you know, he's amazing. You know, almost 12 kids from a small town. Everybody loves grandpa, Bob. So I think when I go into my, you know, new, any new business, new neighborhood, new industry, new opportunity, I come open in a sense, right? I'm, I'm open and I'm willing to be observant of what's around me. I'm willing to introduce myself to other people if no one's coming to talk to me. Hmm. And when I'm in really kind of any space, I smile and I try to be like a positive energy in that space. Hold on a second. I really actually love the fact, I want to recap what you just said because it's really important. It's not necessarily that it's a right place, right time type of thing. It starts with you. And what I love about what you just said is you're like, well, listen, listen, mother flippers, regardless of the situation, I have a responsibility to walk into the situation and take a hold of it. And I love the fact that you're like, I smile, I'm friendly, and then, okay, you (laughs) I shouldn't, that's a kind of joke. Someone did tell me that once. They were like, this termination doesn't feel so bad because you're smiling. I'm like, I can't help it. I believe you. I, I, I so believe that. So the key thing, the thing I, I think I love the most is that you're like, hey, listen, if you guys are not coming up to me to say hi, I'm going to go up to you and I'm going to introduce myself. Period. Yes. Do you think, let me ask you, I mean, because now you teach, you teach so many businesses, so many businesses across the country. Like, do you think that it's easy for people to when they hear that to go, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I can go and introduce myself. Or do you feel like it's one of the biggest things that hold them back? From my experience with most people, okay, I guess you can fall into two different categories. When you're somewhere, even if it is a networking thing, like you go, it could be a conference, it doesn't really matter what the event is. We stick back and stay with what's comfortable and we hang out with the people that we already know instead of wanting to go meet new people. And I think that's, you know, fear of rejection. There's lots of other stuff that's there, right? Or not knowing what to say, or also being stuck in a conversation you really don't want to be in with somebody. Maybe it's not the right, um, you know, maybe it wasn't the right person to approach. But um, there's that piece where people are afraid or, or get too comfortable in those situations. And when you act that way, you know, you're missing a lot of potential opportunity that could be right around you. So again, this this could relate to whether you're in a specific room or even in an entire like industry or neighborhood. Yeah, okay. yeah. The other thing that I see a lot of our clients and, and our industry do is that they 
forget, like they, they almost, they get so stuck working in the business and delivering all the needs of the business that they forget about all of the spheres and circles and networks that are around them that they need to remember to cultivate and build those relationships. Mm-hmm. And so on the flip side, I think they don't do it because they literally forget that they're there. <laughs> yes, like completely. And it's like, but that's what we came for. <laughs> right. And so oftentimes in the beginning of a business, everyone's like, okay, I need to go get clients. I got to find clients. And they're much more active and aggressive, I would say, right? Like they're, but then they get some clients, things go okay. They get everything off the ground and now they're doing well, but they've kind of plateaued. And then now they're like, well, what do I do to find new people? It's like, well, what did you do in the beginning? Right. <laughs> like, no, that's exactly right. What oh, did yeah. you do in the beginning? Yes. I guess yeah. I could reconnect with, you know, these people or, oh, I guess, yeah, I haven't talked to them in a couple of years now. Right? That's yeah. Like, that's not how you build strong relationships. <laughs> right. <laughs> you ignore people. <laughs> you can't ignore people. You have to, <laughs> you have to talk. <laughs> you know, I don't mean to laugh, but what you're saying is so true. I, even for me, I can't tell you the amount of people who, <laughs> who have come to like a live event or they've watched me get off of stage and they're like, Tiffany, I need to talk to you about something. My marketing and sales strategy is not working and I'm just not closing any sales. And I'm like, oh man, this is tough. How many people have you spoken to the last 30 days? They're like, none. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> What? What? That math doesn't. That math is wrong. What do you mean, none? Right. Right. Yes. So let me ask you this: When you think about the last, I'm going to ask you the last ten years, because I'm going to I'm going to dial back into last five after selling your businesses. But when you think about your brick and mortar, just having to be Candice, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week and leaning into, I have to have the answers. I've got to run this show. And I also need to keep up with these other things. What do you feel like is the greatest thing that you brought to the table every day that allowed you to, I mean, man, you build a team of dozens and dozens of people. You ran two shops, two physical locations on a stupidly popular, busy street in Southport, Chicago. And then you had life, you know, like you, you actually, you lived somewhere. What do you feel like is the greatest thing that you brought to the table every day to, that allowed you to keep on keeping on? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, there was a point, you know, where we were juggling a lot, but, you know, you've mentioned there about the team being in place. And so a, as I grew, you know, getting the right people in, in place to help support the company was critical to your question about how I kind of showed up and how I got through the day is that, you know, we're a lot of different things are thrown at us throughout the day, whether it's from a customer or from a team or from our own family. And there might be scenarios where, you know, maybe we even messed up as the leader and the business owner, or maybe we um, didn't have something as organized as it should have been. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe even one of our employees did something like made a wrong choice. And I always lead with integrity for me always. Mm -hmm. So it depends on how, how I may react to a situation or what I choose to do for the day, I go to that core value for me of integrity and always try to do what's right for the situation and the person or the customer, right? The other piece that really was helpful was being accessible and available to the team so that they knew that if they had a question, they could come to me to get feedback. They knew that their you know job wouldn't be in jeopardy if they had a question kind of thing, right? I, I was very came from a place of wanting to coach and mentor 
the team that was there. And so they, they wouldn't hesitate if they needed help with something. Do you find that when you think about team, I want to talk about, so there's like team in the office and then there's the core of people who are not in your office or not in your store. Did you keep a team of people around you or people around you who just kept you level-headed, like friends, family? Did you take that same thing to that, to that? Did that make sense what I'm asking you? Like, was it the same for you? Like for me, I realized as I grew, I had to have a core set of people physically around me in my life in the same way. Um, yeah, I would say what was interesting, I guess, about that question is I don't think I had that in my life for the, I mean, my, my family was definitely supportive of being a small business owner and we're there, but they didn't really get it. My ex-husband didn't get it at all and wasn't around. (laughs) Now my current husband is amazing and always been supportive of the small, of, of my businesses. And so, yes, he has been like, that's been a big shift. But he was at the last kind of tail end of the few years of my 15 year career in that business. And so, but when I think about the supportive team that are around me, I I got to the point where my management, right, my managers and my assistant managers, I trusted them more than myself almost, right? Because they could execute the ideas. They had been there a long time. Um, I knew that they cared about the business as much as I did. And it took a long time to get to that point, but I'd say that they then became you know, my rock solid. Okay. Fair. Um, what's the hardest part of your hardest part of getting to seven figures? What was the toughest part? Toughest part? Like, man, like Tiffany, sh- this shit's not working. <laughs> what was the toughest part? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess uh, the top, so what ha- the shift that happened for me, it, what would financially, the big shift that happened was that I was spending money in the wrong places Mm-hmm, for sure. And, and so I needed like, so my, I had a physical store with retail products. And so I had way too much money tied into those products. I didn't, you know, if you overspend, you know, buy into all that, you didn't have money left over to pay the rest of the bills, or I would use money to pay for the rest of the bills and not have any money to buy inventory. And then I have no way to make money. <laughs> so I really didn't understand and manage the money properly. And I was spending it on the wrong stuff in the beginning. And then the other problem was that I wasn't pricing my stuff right, right? I wasn't pricing the products correctly for the right margin to make the most money from it. And I know in a lot of service-based businesses too, you know, that the pricing can really run a variety of ranges. Yeah, let's hold on a second. You're saying that, so when you say you didn't price them right, would you say, Tiffany, I was just pricing things for the most part, I was pricing them too low or I wasn't bundling them? Yes, yeah. I did because I didn't understand. I, I knew how to make the, the store look pretty. I knew how to get the brand on point. I knew how to offer great customer service. I knew how to network. I knew how to lead. But when it came to the science part of business, right, there's an art and a science. And when it came to the science piece, I was not paying attention to the numbers and the formulas and what I, the concepts and strategies and tricks as around, you know, that, that scientific part. So, Ooh. yeah. Oh, art and science? Oh, you know, I've got to ask you about that next. There's an art and science to business. Ooh. I don't think I've ever heard anyone put it quite like that. So you had nailed in all of the art and the science you didn't understand or did you just not know it existed? I think I knew 
And the earlier, I mean, I, I must have known there was an important piece to it. I mean, I, I made a business plan. I did a profit and you know a projection, five year projection. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew that I knew it. I know I knew how to make a budget, and you know, didn't mean I followed it, but <laughs> clearly. But at the beginning, I, I think I knew what the science piece was, but I didn't know its importance, and I didn't give it enough weight and, and importance. Yep. And there were more strategies in that science piece that I didn't know. And I learned them all once I started working with a coach and a consultant and a mentor, right? That had been there before me. Yep, for sure. And then I was like, oh, there's so much I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> and then you're like, flip. Right. Wow. So to get back to the question of like how the hardest part of getting there was that that flip, like that was a big flip got the mentors. We started looking at the science piece. We looked at the, the numbers. We looked at the pricing. We looked at what I was spending. We made all the shifts, right? I had to make some really tough decisions to cut back expenses in certain places to make sure that the number piece, the science piece made sense to even stay open. And yep. then we looked at the, the pricing of our products and increased the prices of things. And for me, as a retailer, I was worried about that we would be more expensive than the internet and people are just going to shop online and not come to me. But that wasn't necessarily true. Well, it wasn't true at all because the art piece, right? The customer service, the events, the fun atmosphere of the business attracted people who would want to give their dollars to me and give their money to me instead of shopping online, right? So the essence of building a brand. And you know, it's it's one of the t- one of the best lessons that I think I've learned in the last five years since selling my company, walking into coaching and strategy. I will never forget that day. Let me just tell my buddies here who are listening. So, listen, I am two years into, or maybe a year and a half into. Uh, walking through the world as Tiffany Largi. I'm teaching sales and marketing. But I kept saying to myself, I think there's something more. And even though I had walked in through the world and like teaching and telling my story, the truth is that I said, I feel like there's more to this brand thing that I'm paying attention to. And mm-hmm. at first, you know, I had been in business for like 12 years, right? So I knew logo, font, color, but I'll never forget never forget when we were walking in downtown Chicago and you were like, okay, Tiffany, because I was like, Candace, you got to make this stupid, stupid, easy for me to get. And we were inside of that store. We were walking down the street and you said to me, look at all the signs. And it was the most like, it was almost like Christmas or Hanukkah. Let's just call it Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. We're going to shoot for another holiday. Like it was such a gift because I looked around and you started to tie how I felt in that store to my willingness to, I think we bought like a chocolate crepe for no reason. We were going to buy like expensive uh, tomato sauce and all their types of foolishness to cook, even though there's a grocery store down the street selling tomato sauce and pasta and whatever else for half the price. But this specialty Italian shop made me feel like, you know what? It's okay if you're charging $12 for a bottle of tomato sauce. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. It was crazy, but it was my first time dialing in. Let, let me ask you this. Why do you think most businesses just don't pay attention to brand? Or why do you feel like, because this for like for the world, as you're looking through show notes and you're going to go stalk Candace, let me tell you, still to this day, I believe she's one of the greatest brand experts, even though that's not what she does in life. <laughs> but I don't know anyone who understands brand better is the truth. I don't. 
And I, I, every day I count my lucky stars that I have the great fortune of calling you a friend because do the damn thing nation. Like it wouldn't even exist until you forced me to look deeper inside of myself. Uh Oh, woo woo. (laughs) Deep, deep inside of me. And (laughs) <laughs> and, and to pull out these to pull it out and what a game changer so l- let me ask you this when you thought of building first dogaholics i'm gonna go way back you thought about the brand part of this thing because dogaholics was your first million dollar multi-million dollar business that you sold and it was local it was a local feel that gained a national presence and and I think that's the most important piece. It was a local company that 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 acquired or, or got to a national presence. What was the first thing? Like if you could build me three or five steps for the person who's listening right now going, uh, brand question mark. Like what was the first thing that you said, okay, great, this must go first in establishing the brand that's gonna rock Southport into their socks? Mm. Well, I, at the time when I was thinking about dogaholics, I kind of started piecing together different elements of the business. And I like to think of things almost like coming from all our senses, right? Our five senses. And when I think about a physical business, actually it doesn't even matter. Service-based or physical, you can think about your business and how people experience it from all five senses. And so I started planning out what will the store look like, right? What will the displays look like, what will, and then even the website look like. I started thinking about really how we want people to feel emotionally. What would they feel physically if they did feel anything physically? Um, Well, in a retail store, they would. I started thinking about what kind of vibe I wanted in a sense of like the community piece. Community has always been a big deal for me. It's like always, always been a big piece of who I am. I know it's a foundational thing for, for anything that we start and do, but for me, it was kind of like, okay, I knew I would want to create a community of people, a community of dog lovers. And so yeah. I just started playing around with all of these different ideas. And it was, it was a massive notebook, lots of thoughts, lots of scribble. Now I guess it could have been post-it notes. I don't know. I can't, I don't know. I'm sure I used post-it notes, <laughs> but anyway, there was a lot of brainstorming and thinking about what it was going to be. And I knew it needed to be different. It needed to stand out. And the same thing with even my current business, Pet Boss Nation. It was, it's the same thing. I, I, wanted, I thought about the community. Who are the people? What are they going to feel? What are they experience? Who do they want to be? And with Dogaholics, that name didn't even come to me at the time. I was playing around. I think I must have had a list of like 200 different names. And I think we were going to go with like Pup Town USA or something was going to be it. Pup Town USA. And it was going to be like Cracker Barrel-y kind of like themed out as far as look and decor. And I remember my grandma Jan here. I talked about Grandpa Bob, but I remember my grandma Jan was like, nobody wants to go to Cracker Barrel. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) She's like, you need to start appealing to younger people. You know, you're a young business owner. You're going to be in business a long time. Younger people need to want to come here. And I was like, oh my gosh, grandma, you're so wise. So anyway, I, I started, I had all these names. I wasn't connected with it. And I was in the car listening to music and the Robert Palmer song, Addicted to Love came on the radio. And I was like addicted. I was like addicted to love. And then I was like addicted to dogs, dog addiction. And then I was like, dogaholics. 
It just like, you know, kind of chocoholic workaholic had been used at the time. Now this is back in 2004, maybe 2005. Now I was thinking about this and, uh, and then I was like dogaholics. And I was like, I, I, you know, we didn't even have smartphones. I couldn't even look on my phone to see if like it was even available or taken yet. I had to wait till I got home after three hours of driving to, you know, log online and check it out. But for me, the word dogaholic, it was like, I knew that people who loved dogs would love being called a dogaholic. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that though, you know, is addiction and any, you know, alcoholism or any addiction that's there as a negative, a negative experience, a negative word. And we have a lot of addiction in our family. And when I took that name back to the family, well, grandma knew it shouldn't be you know, Cracker Barrel, she did not love the word dogaholics. And my whole family said that it probably wasn't a good idea to do that. But I said, nope, I know my people. (laughs) I know they're going to love it. And I remember when I opened the first day, maybe one of our first like five customers, the woman came in and she's like yelling in the store and she's like, I'm a dogaholic. And she came like running in, you know, and it made me feel good. And people bought merchandise and they all just like loved it. And so for that, it was like naming a tribe of people in a sense. Yep. And same thing with Pet Boss Nation. You know, we want, they, they want to be a boss in their business. Right. And so now they're pet bosses and nation is the community piece that we bring. So yeah, that's always been important. So I don't know the five things. I mean, that's kind of more of the story, but I guess like, think about, think about those key senses that people experience in your business and what you want that to be. And then become observant about the things in your life and the brands that you use, the products that you use and what attracts you to certain elements that they use. Is it their color that they're using? Is it the type of photography they're using? Fonts? Uh, material and packaging, you know, there's so many things that go into a brand experience. And so you just have to start to play around with what you're attracted to and what you think also will make the most sense and attract your ideal client. Absolutely nailed it. You couldn't be more right. You know, you didn't give the five, but you did give the five. Start with name. So, and it's not really about naming the company. It's more identifying the customer who's walking in through the door whether that's a virtual door or an in-person door. And then after that, it's asking yourself questions. How do you want that person to actually feel when they get in? Who is this for? Third, I love the fact that you said that you took the time to go through a lot of names and then you took those names or those concepts to other people. One of the key things that you said that is not necessarily a step, but it's so vital. You've got to trust yourself. Can you imagine, I mean, shit, can you imagine if you had not, if you had gone, you know what, Grandma Jan, you were right. You were right about the last thing. I am, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to call it dogaholics. Can you imagine? You literally took over the country. (laughs) Real dog, you took over the doggone country with a name and a feeling and a movement behind it in, in such, and I don't want to say it was simple, but you definitely did the damn thing. And, you know, it just reminds, it's like one of those pivotal moments of, man, I could, am I going to go left or right? And then everyone's saying, no, 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 go right. And you're like, oh, but my heart's not on the right side. My mm-hmm. heart's on the left and I can just feel this thing. I, yeah, I actually love that story. I don't think I've heard that story in its fullness. So that was such a great for me. Yeah, it was for sure. Let me ask you this. What's the best part? 
What's the best part for you looking back 15 years? What's the best thing that, that you say, man, the ride was worth it. The ride was so worth it. Well, you know, the situation I'm in right now is that we've just purchased our dream home as close to the dream home as possible. I mean, there might need to be some updates here and there, but for the most part, it's, it's a dream home. And this home wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't have sold the business. And a lot of people don't think about running their business, like they're ready to sell it, but we really do need to do that because we never know when the opportunity is going to come around to exit. And that's kind of what happened for me in this scenario. I wasn't looking to sell the business, but someone who was interested in coming to buy the business approached me about it and kind of made us an offer we couldn't refuse. And so when I look back at like the best part, I guess the combination of all of all of that hard work and to exit in that way where it was like, we want this business so bad and we love your team. And this happened multiple times. You know, I, I sold two different parts of this business. And in both situations, the people coming to buy the business were like begging me to buy the business. And they wanted the team, they wanted the customer base, they wanted the brand. They And so for me, that was my best part is it was like, wow, all my hard work, <laughs> late, late nights and, you know, stress and, and, uh, you know, financial issues in the early years, like they've all paid off. So I, I just, I, for me, it's, it's the best part was that while it was a massive roller coaster, <laughs> I was able to come out on the, on the positive side of it all and be really proud of what we created. Massive roller coaster. Massive. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you how many times I'm like, get me off this ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I was probably like hanging off by like my one finger on most of the ride probably, but somehow got back in that seat. <laughs> you know, I just visualized us you know how you see those like videos and then they're in the roller coaster or whatever it is. And then they're like 7,000 feet in the air and they have those 17 seconds of still and normalness before like the ride drops or whatever it is. <laughs> that's it. That's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. It's like, ah, it <laughs> yes, it does. Absolutely. Oh man. Oh, this was so good. So um, I just have, I'm going to ask you one more question because I know I don't want to leave this on the table and not discuss it. Setting up your business to sell it. So it's not necessarily how do you do it. It's more just thinking about the fact that you want to build it as an asset. Because if you just build a business and you're just making cash, I mean, it's good, but true to the roller coaster, right? Like the roller coaster, a lot of sometimes is not fun, right? But but what makes it exciting, or what makes it worthwhile, or what makes it is that you build an asset. And I don't want to dive into like the level of what type of asset or having a big asset. I think for me, it's just more having an asset. It's like even during this year, I've watched so many businesses close their doors, and what I think they realize, especially after some conversations I've had of companies who've reached out to us. They realized that they were just running their business and producing cash, but they never really 
built an built a foundation or an asset underneath them. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Building to last or building for the storm or building for the what if, because even in COVID, like there are so many businesses who had to close their doors, but man, there's a ton of, like if their business was just had a little bit more of a stronger foundation or, Mm -hmm. or they had been thinking about the future instead of just the now all the time then they could have actually sold their business or sold their assets or sold their list or whatever it might be. When you look back and you're like, man, I should have done these three things sooner. So go back to building your business and the things that you did that you learned after the fact. And you're like, oh, why didn't you tell me? For me, one of mine was, I wish you had told me about nurturing through email. I wish I had learned about that earlier. Just nurturing. I had 3,000 customers in my last company and we talked to them on Christmas, Hanukkah and Valentine's Day mm-hmm. and maybe at Patrick's, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that. Like, what are your top three? Like, what are your crazy top three? So having your systems and processes like nailed down is is critical because that's that's the first piece to the next piece. <laughs> okay, so... Systems and processes, meaning having your, whatever your procedures are for every different area of your business, job descriptions, potentially even a code of conduct for employees, like all of, all of those structural components that you need, you know, if, you're, if your business had its own like handbook, right, you need, you need everything documented. And the reason you need all that stuff documented is because that means you can start to train your team and get the right team in place. Because a team, you can train, you know, one or two people without your handbook, but you can't scale without everything documented because you want to be able to pass on training to the person you train is now going to train other people in your company. And the reason that's important is because your business becomes more valuable the less you're in it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's because the type of person who can pay top dollar to buy your business, that type of company in person isn't going to want to get sucked in and work in your business either because they're already doing other things. So let's see. I apologize. I was thinking that I'm I'm like, okay, we've got systems processes team. And then, you know, I would say taking time for myself, like some self care. I'm still struggling with that one. <laughs> but uh, it definitely m- taking more time out, even if it's a couple days a week or making some rules and boundaries around when to close my computer or not work, you know, when other family members are around or present or loved ones are around and being more present for those relationships too. That would have really helped me, I think, over the years as well. A lot. We'd love, you know, we'd love you and I. I mean, we, gosh, we work all the time. Even when we get even together. We, get together. <laughs> we do. We do work all the time. Very true. <laughs> but we also have a lot of fun. Listen, it's the last time. Don't play because I, I haven't sat and listened to Vanilla Ice twice in a row since. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's like, I could tell Candace is like, did she just say vanilla ice? Yes. Yes, I did say it. Please continue with the list. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of it. The self-care piece, I guess it's more like, you know, we, you know, you and I, I brought up the story of like, we can work together because our hobby is like our businesses we build and helping people build, people their, build their business. For sure. But the reality is that most people in our lives 
are not an entrepreneur and they don't understand. And so it is good to have, you know, a circle of people that you network with, but also giving yourself time to do the other things in life. For sure. And you need those people because you need them to understand you. You've got to be able to speak the same language. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Do you have a bonus one? You know, yes. Okay. I guess it's that not to take things personally. You know, this can relate to an employee that you hire who now is leaving and writing bad reviews or telling you that you're a horrible employer. We see that happen sometimes with our clients. Um, where it's really, you can't control the crazy that's out there and that person that's doing that. But um, you can, you can at least know that it actually has nothing to do with you. Um, If somebody doesn't want to sell to you or work with you, it's going to be more important to be able to let it roll off and move on to the next opportunity. Right. You know, this, this sounds a whole lot like my favorite statement on the planet, I don't have time to manage your insecurities. Yes, I do love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I'm 100% with you. This has been awesome. So, Candice, dun, 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 listen, I have absolutely loved, 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 loved spending this time for sure. And for those of you who are listening, I hope that you have fallen just as much in love with Candace as I already am. And I think there's going to be a part two to this because what I know is that it's one thing to dive in and it's another to dive deep. And what's important is that I wish I had a Candace or someone like it to just listen to, to hear not just what works, but what doesn't work and who are you really and what really happened. So first and foremost, I want to say, Candace, thank you so very much. I can't wait to have you back. I absolutely love you and I adore you. And more importantly, do the damn thing nation. Stay tuned to see what's next. Man, have I told you how glad I am that you're here? Like, real talk. Have I flipping told you how glad I am that you are here? You have listened. This is the part of the show where I say, let's go find us, go follow us, go stalk us. But just make sure that we're connected. Head to do the damn thing.tv, do the damn thing.life, or just go hang out on tiffanylargy.com. If we are not friends on Facebook, if you have not liked our Instagram page, go do that because you're going to want to see what we're doing, how we're doing, and how we're doing the damn thing daily. 